Welcome to Life Lessons, a ministry of Metro Believers Church featuring Pastor Glenn Smith. We pray that you will be encouraged by today's teaching. And now, Pastor Glenn. Just so you know, um, we are in the story. We're talking about the Bible from the beginning to the end. I want to welcome our live streaming audience. We call it our online campus. Let's give them a hand today. Come on, let's welcome them. If you're watching live stream, and uh, a few, uh, about a month ago, I did a, a quick survey and found out that that day we had 750 households tuned in. Um, across Madison area, this region, and around the country, and even other parts of the world. So um, Metro Believers Church is reaching a lot of people. <laughs> even though we may have smaller crowds here, um, God is still using this church all across this city, um, building the city church as well as around the country. So we're glad that you're here. Um, I just wanted to say real quick, one of our goals this year is to develop a culture of prayer. And we've been talking about that, and now it's time for action. Um, next Saturday, everyone say next Saturday, or this Saturday, whatever you want to say, okay, this coming Saturday. Um, what is it, the 2nd? June 2nd. Saturday night, 7 o'clock. Everyone say 7 o'clock. We are going to be praying at the TC. We call it the first Saturday prayer uh, experience, so... First Saturday of every month, we have a prayer experience, and I want you and I to come together to pray. Even if you're uncomfortable praying out loud or, you know, being called on to pray, we, we won't do that to you, okay? And, but you can learn how to pray better um, by just being in that environment, and we pray for your needs and um, try to trust God with you that God will do something amazing in your life. So, um, I just wanted to thank you for being there in advance, because <laughs> uh, we'll never establish that prayer culture if we don't do something about it. We'll just, we just keep talking about it, talking about it, everybody stays home. Just come. Yeah. Amen? Everyone say, come. Turn to somebody and say, come. <laughs> come pray with me, right? All right. So, you know, so far, yeah, this is part 11 um, of the story. So far, we have been talking about different aspects of the story. You know, we started over here in creation. Um, we talked about, you know, how God created Adam and Eve. We walked through the, the fall and then the flood and then Babel. Um, and then uh, we hit Abraham and then Joseph and then Mo, whoops, there we go, then Moses around 1526 and then Joshua. How many of you know Joshua is one of my favorite books in the Bible, one of my favorite characters in the Bible? Um, and then we hit, uh, last week, um, Roger hit Saul, um, and we found out that Saul, you know, the children of Israel were calling out for a king. And it wasn't necessarily what God wanted for them, um, but they decided we've got to have a king. And so they got a king, all right. Um, his name is Saul, and uh, he wasn't such a great king. Matter of fact, he was greedy and harsh, and all sorts of things went sideways. And so today, we're going to talk about, it, right around 1000 BC in time, we're talking about the timetable, um, we're going to talk about the first part of David, okay? We're, today, we're going to talk about young David. We're going to talk about, you know, how it all came down, how it all happened. And um, next week, we're going to talk about King David, okay? 
So there's two sections of his life. And just so you know, this is one of my favorite parts of the Bible. <laughs> You'll probably end up finding out that there, I've got a lot <laughs> of favorite parts of the Bible. How many of you know the favorite part is the Bible? Amen? This is the story is not designed to replace this. It's just to give us highlights, okay? The abridged factor, the shortened version. Give us highlights of some of the, the standout stories in the Bible and to help us wrap our heart and mind around, especially for new believers or those that are somewhat illiterate in Scripture. And, um, but as I've walked through it, having been in Christ for 42 years um, and studied the Bible from back to forward through the whole thing, um, dozens of times, and I'm, I'm being blessed by it, just digging in and seeing things that I hadn't seen before. So I want to encourage you to do the same. That's not sort of, you know, this is week 11, we're a third of the way through, it's kind of getting old. No, the Bible never gets old. Amen? So, so yeah, we're going to talk about, you know, little King David, who was, you know, a shepherd, um, just back tending to the sheep. And all of a sudden, some things happened. Now, we've been asking you to, each week, read the story yourself before you come to church. We've asked you to, to upload a selfie, and today would be, last, or the next couple of days would be the last time you can upload a selfie for May. Um, and I'm just going to tell you, you'll have a good chance of winning if you post one this, this month. <laughs> just going to say it, Okay. Um, you know, I can't tell you how many but we have posted already, but um, you'll have a pretty good chance <laughs> of winning a free gift card to one of the local uh, eateries, okay? So do that over the next couple of days, maybe while you're swimming. Now, I'm not, I just want to ask a question. Uh, how many of you partly came to church today because it's so stinking hot outside? <laughs> Some of you are like, I was going camping, but... <laughs> You know, I was soaked in the first five minutes, so I decided to come to church where it's cool. <laughs> Vicki and I came back from camping early yesterday because it was so stinking hot. We were just dripping, so we came back early. Um, but at any rate, where was I? Oh, we're asking you to put a selfie up on the, on the, on the website. And uh, so we can actually pick a winner. Um, we've been asking you to join a story group. We've been having a great time in our, our small groups learning the story together. And uh, lastly, just come to church each week, even if it's a Memorial Day. Give yourself a hand for being here today. Even if it was just because you were so hot, you wanted to come, right? All right, so um, today we're going to learn from uh, just about the, from a shepherd to a king. We're going to learn about this guy, and I want to encourage you not to think, well, yeah, that was, that was David. I'm me. This is a guy just like you and me. Understand that. This is a guy just like you and me. And um, I was watching one of the small group videos this week uh, for, that we use in some of our small groups and just kind of get an idea um, some of the background behind David. And Randy Frazee actually does the video, um, like a 10-minute, 12-minute little vignette to set, to set the whole concept up. And as I was watching, I thought that would be cool just to watch him do that today. So we're going to do that little vignette. Um, he's going to explain some things, but listen to what he's saying because it'll give you the background we need and then I'll take it from there. This is your story. This is my story. 
But most of all, this is the greatest story ever told. This is God's story. said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel, but Samuel said, The Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shammah pass by, but Samuel said, Nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, The Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, Are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and he had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. There's a famous legendary story told of a marriage on the Hawaiian islands of Oahu many years ago. It was customary in that day to offer a dowry of cows to the father of your prospective bride. The standard price was three cows. Now, if a daughter was a special catch, she might fetch four cows. There was rumor that one father in a distant past received an unfathomable five cows for his amazingly gorgeous and charming daughter. Well, as legend goes, Sam Carew had two daughters. Now, his eldest daughter was not considered very beautiful by the islanders. The father determined years before that he would not likely fetch three cows for her. He dreamed of two, but would settle for one. As a matter of fact, if push came to shove, he would let her go for no cows at all to lighten the financial burden of taking care of her. Well, fortunately, his younger daughter was a definite three-cow girl. One day, the richest man on the island, a man named Johnny Lingo, paid Sam Carew a visit. Everyone knew he was going to ask for one of his daughters in marriage. Everyone assumed it was for the younger daughter. But to the surprise of the whole town and to the dad's delight, he came a-calling for his eldest daughter. He thought to himself, I'm going to get three cows for her after all. Then he let his imagination get the best of him, and he thought he might receive the all-time offer of five cows. You can imagine the shock when the rich suitor brought ten cows for his daughter. When they came back from a two-year-long honeymoon, the villagers were struck by the difference in her presence. She was strikingly beautiful, graceful, poised, confident, and self-assured. Everyone thought Johnny got a bargain 
paying only 10 cows for her hand in marriage. Johnny looked at Sam's oldest daughter from a different angle than her father and the other villagers. He looked beyond her outward appearance and saw the beauty of her heart and character. The moment he paid 10 cows, she became a 10 cow wife. And this is precisely what's going to happen to a young boy named David in chapter 11 of the story. Here's the setting. In the previous chapter, we learned that Israel wanted a king so that they could be like the other nations. They selected Saul, a man of standing, impressive young man without equal among the Israelites, a head taller than any of the others, a five-cow king for sure. Unfortunately for the people of Israel, Saul didn't align his life and reign to the upper story of God. His disobedience sent a very contradictory message about the nature and character of the God of Israel. Instead of the surrounding nations seeing God as holy, just, loving, full of grace, through Saul's leadership, they saw him as cruel and greedy. And God communicated to the prophet Samuel that it was time to find another king, one who would represent God's heart and God's passion. On the direct order of God, Samuel was sent to the house of Jesse from Bethlehem, and one of Jesse's sons would become the next king of Israel. Samuel filled his horn with oil and left for what appeared to be a fairly straightforward assignment. When Samuel arrives, Jesse lines up his seven sons from the oldest to the youngest, and Samuel goes through the lineup, but he doesn't anoint any of them as the next king of Israel. Samuel, perplexed, asked, are these all the sons you have? Unbelievably, Jesse admitted he had an eighth son named David, but didn't think to bring him off the field from tending the sheep because he couldn't see him as even a possibility. The Hebrew word Jesse uses to describe his youngest son is, is our English word runt. Like Sam Carew's daughter, David was the runt of the litter, a good boy, but would barely fetch a single cow. David came in from the field to meet the famous prophet, and before he knew it, oil poured down his head. God confirmed David would be the next king of Israel. Now, at that time, David was a mere 16 years old. And there's a difference between being anointed as king and being inaugurated as king. David was the pick of God, but he would have to wait for a date in the future to actually become the king. However, we are told from the time that David was anointed with oil that the Lord was with him, and that's a big deal. With God working through young David, he finds himself saving Israel by taking out a nine-foot Philistine giant named Goliath. We find him joining Saul's army and being so effective as a warrior that the people begin to cheer David's success over Saul's, and Saul gets jealous and he seeks to remove David, to actually kill him. And for the next 14 years, Saul tracks David down as a fugitive. David has many low moments in those 14 years where he wants to give up, but in the end, he grows and he learns to trust in God. He records his deepest thoughts in his journal, which we call the Psalms today. Here are a couple of entries from his journal from that time. Let me read from the story. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from the words of my groaning? I am a worm 
and not a man, scorned by men and despised by people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. I can count all of my bones. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them and cast lots for my clothes. Who would give even one cow for a worm? In the lower story, David felt like a failure. But this is not how God saw him from the upper story. From God's seat, he saw a different kind of David than his father, his brothers, King Saul, Goliath, and even David himself. When Samuel saw Jesse's older son, he thought he looked like a king on the outside. God interrupted Samuel with this comment of correction. Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. David might have been considered a runt by his father on the outside, but God examined his heart on the inside and beheld a giant. You know, frequently a person puts on a show when they're in public to win the approval of people or to portray an image not exactly accurate of who they really are. God, however, peers at our actions when no one else is looking. When David was out all alone in the hills, shepherding his dad's small flock of smelly sheep, God observed him from above. What God viewed day after day caused him to select this young man as the next king of Israel. The integrity in David's heart manifested itself when no one was looking and it caught God's attention. Listen to Psalm 78. He chose David his servant and took him from the sheep pens. From tending the sheep, he brought him to be the shepherd of his people, Jacob, of Israel, his inheritance. And David shepherded them with integrity of heart, with skillful hands, he led them. You see, Israel needed a king who had a heart overflowing with integrity. This kind of king would reflect the nature and character of God and cause not only the Israelites, but the surrounding nations to want to follow this God. So if David is God's number one pick, why did he allow King Saul to stay in office and chase David around the world for 14 years? The answer is simple. And the same one we found in Joseph's story. To grow David up so he could handle the pressures of shepherding an entire nation. You see, it's one thing to shepherd a small flock of sheep. It's another level altogether to shepherd a nation. Essentially, God put David through a spiritual boot camp to chisel him and to refine him into the kind of man who would truly trust in God. Now, it's interesting to note that on several occasions, Saul had a change of heart and wanted to make peace with David. However, God didn't allow it. We we're told it was God who hardened Saul's heart toward David. And at some point in Saul's reign, his continual pattern of disobedience crossed the line. And God looked into his heart the same way he did with David's, and he saw a lack of integrity. Saul's new mission in life became to leverage his jealousy and his lack of integrity to equip David to handle disappointment and to trust in God. Let this be a reminder to us that God can use our disobedient lives as effectively as he uses our obedient lives in the lower story to work out his upper story plan. However, we will miss out on the rich blessing that comes to those who follow God's will.
Fourteen years later, David became the king of Israel, and a good king he was. Later in the story, we're given this assessment of David's reign. For David had done what was right in the eyes of the Lord, and had not failed to keep any of the Lord's commands all the days of his life. A number of years ago, a Christian artist sang a song about David that went like this. When others see a shepherd boy, God may see a king. Well, here's another way to say it. When others see a one-cow boy in the lower story, God may see a ten-cow king from the upper story. But there's more. There's more going on in David's story that points us to God's upper story plan to get us all back. David was referred to as God's anointed one. Those two words in English, in our English language, is the Hebrew word Messiah. David was the Messiah in the lower story. His righteous reign pointed us to the Messiah in the upper story. God is looking for more Davids today. People that the world may consider to only fetch one cow, but God sees a 10 cow potential in them. That canon should be said of us as we seek to align our lives to God's upper story plan. We too, like David, can point people toward the one true Messiah. talking about the runt of the litter. Some, some of you here today might feel like you're the runt of the litter and uh, you feel like God could never use you. But here's the deal. Um, God can use any of us. Amen? And uh, I'll remember, never forget, um, in my life, I was called when I was 12 years old. You could say I was anointed but I wasn't separated yet until I was 20, almost 21. So um, God places his hand upon you, and then he starts to groom you for what your call looks like, okay? So never give up. Never stop growing, because you never know. You may be a 10-cow king, okay? And we'll talk about that next week. But, you know, David was voted most unlikely to succeed. That's how, that's how it looked from the outward. And I love, I love what Randy called his, the Psalms as his journal. Um, just the idea that Lance read from his journal, and we, we do different journals. And those thoughts and ideas of what he was feeling and going through um, was listed in, in the Psalms. He was a young punk, not yet dry behind the ears. <laughs> a 16-year-old young punk. You know, 16-year-olds typically, now probably none of you here um, that are 16 maybe, typically know-it-all, you know, and uh, they think they got it all figured out. Uh, he didn't look like a king. Sort of reminds me of a story about looking like something. There was three golfers uh, that got struck by lightning and ended up in the pearly gates of heaven, and they asked St. Peter if there was golf in heaven, and St. Peter assured them that there was incredible golf in heaven, but there was just one rule, and one rule only. The rule was, don't hit a duck when you're playing golf. So that was the rule. And as they played um, with each other with enormous uh, competition, one of the guys messed up and hit a duck. And St. Peter approached him with a not-so-gorgeous woman, homely in fact, and said, uh, you're the one who hit the duck? St. Peter handcuffed this homely woman to the man, and they took off 
to be that way for all of eternity. The two others continued to play, and eventually another hit a duck. Sure enough, St. Peter approached with another ungorgeous woman and handcuffed her to the one who had hit the duck, and they were that way throughout eternity. Well, the last guy, he continued to play. What the heck? I'll play. And so he continued to play uh, on the golf course, and one day St. Peter approached him with this knockout gorgeous woman and handcuffed that gorgeous, stunning beauty to the guy. Elated, (laughs) the last golfer said, I don't know what I did to deserve this. To which the gorgeous woman looked at him and said, I hit a duck. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So it's kind of a funny story, but yet sad at the same time because our world judges on externals, right? We, you know, we size people up when they walk in the room and we, we say, you know, that's a 10-cow duck, or 10-cow woman. Uh, you know, that's a 5-cow woman or guy, you know. Women do the same thing. And so uh, if we're not careful, we'll look on the outside and God doesn't make that judgment. He, he doesn't judge on the externals. Aren't you glad? You know, when I look in the mirror, I, I think, thank you, God, that you don't judge the externals. A um, little plump here, a little, you know, balding on top. But God looks at the heart. What's in your heart? See, character is really who you are when no one is watching. And, and integrity is very similar to that character. So um, I just want to encourage you and me um, to be men and women of integrity and be people that are, have a heart after God like David did. He was a man after God's own heart. And we'll find out a little bit more about that next week. But um, with our time left, I just wanted to jump into a few things. Uh, As we saw in chapter 11, as we read together this past week, um, there's three things I just wanted to point out. First, first one is that there was a tough situation um, that was going on. There was a nation in chaos during this time. Um, 1 Samuel 16, 1, the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn? Since I have rejected you. In other words, they were kingless. God had rejected them. Um, Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. And then this last one in Judges, it kind of gives us an overview of what was going on during those days. Judges 21, 25 says, In those days, Israel did not have a king. And here's the last part to show you what I'm talking about in terms of chaos. Everyone did what seemed right. Can you imagine if we all just did what we wanted to do and there was no laws that governed, you know, there was nothing that kind of held us in restraint to a certain degree? Um, Think of of lawlessness and chaos, what was kind of happening. So we understand sort of the idea and the framework. Second, the second point I wanted to simply bring out was a surprise invitation And this can happen to any of us. This was a surprise invitation to the nobody from Nowheresville. All right? I mean, this was a nobody. He was the runt of the litter. He, all of a sudden, you know, Samuel shows up. And in 1 Samuel 16, 
uh, verse 6, it says, when they arrived, saw, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands before us, but that wasn't true. In verse 7, the Lord does not look at all the things people look at. People look on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And then in 1 Samuel 16, 11, all of a sudden when they brought David in from the field, all of a sudden it says, there, there is still the youngest. Jesse answered, he is tending the sheep. He comes into the field. And then number three, a great inspiration. God has a place for you. A great inspiration. If you're taking notes there, God has a place for you. In 1 Samuel 16, 12, it says, then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. Listen, God has a place for you. Did you hear me? God has a place for you in his kingdom. God has a place for you. He has a purpose for you. He has something very strategic, very godly for you to continue to, to accomplish throughout your life. It's not, it's not a weekend event. Just understand that. Some of you think, well, you know, I've been walking with the Lord for a lot of years, and, and I haven't seen a whole lot. You know, you, you, you can't go by what you see. Lance was talking about his feelings not connecting with the promises. You cannot go by what you see. You have to trust that your life is making a difference. That God has certainly and indeed called you to be a 10-cow Christian. Amen? And when you understand that, it brings out the best of you. See, that's what happened to the woman. She thought she wouldn't even get a cow. Her, her dad. And all of a sudden, gets, gives 10 cows for it. My wife leaned over and said, where's my cows? <laughs> you know. now she's a 50-cow wife, right? Or maybe even a 100-cow wife. Aww. Come on. That's right. That's the way I think of her. And look what she's become. <laughs> uh, so, the, the point is, when, when somebody believes in you, it brings out the best. Amen? It brings out the best, and God believes in you. And you have to believe that your life is making a difference. Over the last um, several years, but especially in the last couple of months, um, God has reminded Vicki and I of fruit that remains. And we've been just getting these texts and Facebook posts and different things from different people or face-to-face um, from people that we impacted their lives dramatically over the last several decades. And, you know, just found out that there are three different pastors in ministry today that I had no knowledge of that I somehow impacted in um, different aspects of our ministry in the past, and now they're preaching and pastoring um, and planting churches. Can you get a good Amen. Can I get a good amen? Amen. So, listen, God picks the nobodies nobody notices. Did you hear me? God picks the nobodies nobody notices. Romans 8.31 says, if God is for us, how many of you believe he's for you? Come on. Yeah, God before us, who can be against us? Isaiah 43 says, fear not, for I've redeemed you, I've called you by name. You are Who? Mine. Listen, somebody needs to hear that today. You're mine. You belong to me. You're a king's kid. 
You're my child. And then Romans, I just love this about the love of God. Romans 8.37 says, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. Say more than conquerors. We are more than conquerors. That's me. Through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither, neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither this present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate me, everyone say me, me from the love of God, and that is in Christ our Lord. Let me give you a, a paraphrase. It's going to appear on the screen. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us, for I am convinced that neither poor health, nor college debt, nor pink slips, neither today's deadlines, nor tomorrow's diagnoses, nor any job transfer, nor addiction, nor moral failure, nor anything else, in all of creation will be able to separate me from the love of God. And you can just add whatever you want to that list. God loves you. He's going to take care of you. And you can't go by your feelings like Lance was talking. You have to go by the truth. See, the truth doesn't change regardless of your circumstances. You have to, you have to be willing to commit to the truth. What are, you, what are you focused on, your condition or your position? Your position is that, you, is that you're hidden in Christ our Lord. Amen? That you're a new creation. All things have passed away and all things have become new. That's your position. Now, your condition can go like this in terms of your emotions and so on and so forth. But God had to take David through boot camp for years. Fourteen years, he put David through some of the dip, most difficult challenges he would ever face. And then he became a shepherd and not one sheep was lost. Sound like anybody you know? Jesus, maybe? Yeah, hey, and... You know, it, think about that. I mean, we're talking about lions and bears and all sorts of things. Um, some people think, well, how could David have done that? How could David have actually saved that, you know, his sheep from the predators? And I found a little clip that might explain it. Go ahead and show that. David. <laughs> yeah! <laughs> so just imagine with me, again, in the last few minutes, we have a scrawny 16-year-old shepherd boy taking in a nine-foot, nine-inch tall giant. Think about that. I'm 6'5", Matt's 600. Um, and, um, you know, just think about the, that little scrawny boy taking out this, this giant with one rock and a sling. And you, you may not have this nine-foot, nine-inch giant, you know, sort of taunting you to come out and fight, but you probably are facing a few giants of your own. Giants 
giants like the stack of past due bills maybe on your desk that are glaring at you, or maybe even divorce papers waiting for your signature, or maybe even depression that looms over you like a big hulk. You may have a giant of low self-esteem or an insecurity giant or even child abuse from your past. You and I have giants, right? And, and, and I do too, and we can do well to learn from David. What's the Goliath in your life that's taunting you and facing you, asking you to come out and fight? See, giants, remember this, giants are designed to intimidate you into backing off and you being paralyzed by fear. That's what the whole armies of Israel, including David's brothers, were doing. They were paralyzed by fear. They looked at the size of the obstacle instead of the opportunity, the size of the opportunity that God had for them. And that's what giants are, in, you know, do to us. They, they push us in a corner and they intimidate us. And when, before you know it, we're in fear. It could be a giant of selfishness. It could be a giant of greed or worry. Some of you have this giant of worry that, that lives in your house and goes with you everywhere you go. It's, it's a worry giant. Some of you, it might be fear. Fear, fear of stepping out, fear of rejection, fear of all sorts of things. It may be an alcoholic problem. It may be a drug problem. It may be some other addiction, a porn addiction. It may be, you know, impure thoughts or immorality or bitterness or resentment or uncontrolled anger. That, those are giants, my friend. And I just hit about 90% of this audience today. Those of you that are watching at home, we have giants in the land, folks. How many of you know we have giants in the land? They're, they're not physical giants necessarily, but they are giants nonetheless. So here's the idea is David could face the giant in his life because he was doing something on the backside of the desert, tending his sheep. He was spending time with his God. And when it came time... When he arrived at the place of the standoff between the Israelites and the Philistine, he even talked about his God. As a matter of fact, he mentions his God nine times and the giant twice. Okay? For example, he told Saul that in 1 Samuel 17, he said, The Lord who rescued me, the Lord, he starts out with what? The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Notice he didn't hesitate to confront Goliath. Saying, saying, if you read the story, saying he came in the name of the Lord God, the God of the armies of Israel. David was God-focused, not giant-focused. What do you have your eyes on? Listen. For 40 days, 40 days, Goliath had been coming out every single day and taunting the armies of Israel. 40 days, 40 days. And for 40 days, everyone hoped he would just go away. Maybe he'd get tired of coming out and, you know, trying to get someone to fight with him, mocking them, 
He would just say, you know what, that's not going to happen, go away. Listen, giants just don't typically go away until we face them. Did you hear me? Giants don't typically go away on their own until we face them. So David stepped out, stepped out into the gap and slung one, one well-aimed stone at him. And you may wonder why David picked up five smooth stones from the riverbed. What, was he afraid he was going to miss? Was he concerned? Not likely. David was very efficient at his sling. Second Samuel, I wish I had time to go into this today. Second Samuel 21, verses 18 through 22. You may not want to jot that down. Hence that Goliath may have had four brothers. <laughs> Even if he had to take out the whole family, David was ready. Amen? So how do we become a giant killer? Um, we've all have battles in our life. We've all got stuff going on. Um, I think we got some stuff here we can learn from David. This is going to go real quick. 1 Samuel 16, 13. So as David stood there among his brothers, Samuel took the flask of oil, of olive oil he had brought, and he anointed David with oil, and the Spirit of the Lord came on him powerfully upon David from that day on. Listen, you, you need to understand, number one, trust the anointing. Those are the blanks there. Trust the anointing of the Holy Spirit. God wants to anoint you so that from this day on, you can, you can be a different man. The Spirit of the Lord will come upon you in a powerful way to anoint you and equip you to do what God has called you. Number two, don't focus on the wrong thing. Don't focus on the giant. Focus on your giant God. Focus on God breaking through here and giving you victory over your giants. Peter, Peter, back in the New Testament, you know, he, he got out of the boat, walked on the water, but then he saw the wind and he began to sink. sink. <laughs> and and uh, we can do the same thing. We all of a sudden start looking at our giant, whatever it is. And we're so giant focused, we forget that God's greater, that the greater one dwells on the inside of us. Amen? Number three, the size of the problem is designed to intimidate you. Did you know that with Goliath's size, I did a study on this years ago, and his armor that he had, he was right around north or south of 1,000 pounds. Yeah. So that's a pretty big intimidating giant. So, don't listen, the size of the problem, don't, don't focus on the size of the problem. Focus on the size of your God. Come on. Amen? And then fourth, don't forget the lion and the bear along the way. Let, let verse six, or number five, let past successes in God prepare you for future battles. Remember God's faithfulness in the past. See, there would never have been a Goliath if there hadn't first been a lion and the bear. You've got some lions and some bears that you're dealing with. Take them serious enough to take them out right? And then you'll be ready for your Goliaths, the big stuff. God's always preparing you and build on those past successes in God for future battles. Number six, take, take enough ammo <laughs> to take care of the job. He chose five smooth stones. In other words, understand your weapons. There are, there are at least 10 different weapons in the Bible, 
and I'm not going to go through them all, but just worship, the word, prayer, agreement, all sorts of different things. These are weapons. Take enough ammo. Understand your weapons that God has given you. And last but not least, number seven, David might not, might have been a grasshopper in Goliath's eyes, but inside, David saw himself as a giant killer. How do you see yourself today? How do you see yourself? Are you, do you see yourself as a grasshopper? Or do you see yourself as a giant killer? Come on, amen? Yeah, we can be giant killers. God will equip us and give us the victory if we stick with him and learn the word. I've got three applications. They're written in your notes. Just simply, we all need just one person in our lives that will see the great potential to be what God wants us to be. It helps to have, see, David had Jonathan. Jonathan encouraged David, even though Jonathan was Saul's son. We all just need that one person, at least one person that believes in us and cheers us on and says, you can do it, right? We all need someone like that, someone to encourage our faith and to give you courage when you most need it. And you will need it because even after you slay the giant you're working on now, there'll be more. Giants have brothers. Number two, just as both David and Jesus were underestimated by others, they were judged by externals. Remember, he's just the carpenter's boy. He's the runt of the litter. He, he's not even here. He's, he's, he's tending sheep. He's, just, he's not even a candidate, dude. So people will underestimate us too. Listen, sometimes, sometimes we underestimate ourselves. The worship team can come. But here's what I want to say to you today is don't let, listen to me now, don't let others that underestimate you stop you from pursuing God's dream for your life. Don't let it happen. And last but not least, number three, just as David and Jesus went through a season of testing, so God will test us as well so that we can develop character and integrity to represent God to our world. Let's stand together. Young David. I just double-dog dare you to read the story of David and Goliath again. Just watch some of the things I've done uh, messages on that specific thing. And there are 10 specific things that David did that I think all of us can learn from. To defeat the giant. Could be a giant of hurt and disappointment. Could be a giant of pain and loss. Let's just bow our heads for a moment here. If you have a giant that you are facing right now, seems bigger than you. You don't know how it's going to work. If you have a giant that you'd say, you know what, I want you to pray for me today. I want to win this battle. I want to take out this Goliath in my life. 
that's you, would you simply raise your hand acknowledging that so I can pray for you? Keep it up. Keep your hands up for just a minute. God bless you. Thank you for all the giant killers here. God, thank you. We pray your blessing upon those who raise their hand. We pray, God, that you'll give them victory, that they'll be able to slay this Goliath that seems to be standing, intimidating them, telling them they can't, telling them they, they'll lose, telling them it'll never change. You're cursed. You don't have what everybody else has. You're just the runt of the litter. You're nobody. Why even try? But God. Lord, I just pray that the strongholds will be broken. That they would take the weapons of their warfare that are not carnal but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And they would take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. God, I pray for all of my brothers and sisters who are going through battles today that they would come out victorious strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Help them to be like David. He was a man after God's own heart. God, we just lift him up before you now in Jesus' name. Now we have our pastoral team on the right and the left that are there for you because there's power and agreement. That's one of the weapons that we have. If you want to know more about Life Lessons, check us out online at MetroBelievers.com or write to us at Metro Believers Church, P.O. Box 45702, Madison, Wisconsin 53744.